I forgot to look at the bulletin um, a few moments ago, so let me flag up a couple of things just now. Our evening service this evening will be a little different in that we'll have an informal communion celebration in there. Um, it's something that we have been wanting to do for quite some time, to, to gather around the Lord's table uh, with those who gather in the evening. So you'd be very welcome to join us for that. Today's the last opportunity to get stuff to Hillary for the church magazine. So you'll maybe see her here this morning or her telephone numbers published there. Any who ordered Advent calendar packs for their children or for friends uh, will find that they have arrived and they're available out there in the vestibule. So please pick one up if that's relevant for you. There's quite a lot of other stuff in there this week. A lot of uh, events that are coming up soon, uh, being flagged up. Some of the, the dates for Christmas uh, are in there. Uh, I suppose the one other thing that I would want to encourage you, uh, our Christmas choir, very encouraging to see so many signed up uh, on the first week of the sign-up sheet. Please go on and add your name to that list if you'd like to be part of that choir. Uh, you'd be very welcome. Uh, e- even if you're very new here in Congregational Life, please don't hesitate, but just go and get involved it would be a great way to, to meet some people and, and enjoy our, our worship at Christmas time. So I'll leave the rest of that with you to have a look at yourself. Sometimes when I can be about halfway through a preaching series and realize that I want to quit, um, I look at the direction in which I've set off and I look at some of the promises that I've made earlier in the series and I sort of think well if it were up to me I'd gladly just stop here and forget about it and go and do something different and I feel a little bit like that this morning Um, a a few weeks ago we finished a a series in in the book of Titus we were learning there about the the call on Christian people to live good lives and then a, a couple of times ago when I was preaching in the morning service I said well well, why don't we try to take that seriously and try to work out, well, if God wants us to be good, if he wants us to be transformed and different people than those around us, then let's take that seriously and and see how how that might come about. And we've done a little bit of stuff along those lines. The the first week we we looked at, at the church and we tried to be honest about whether this transformation is pervasively seen in our churches and I think we we came to the conclusion that it's not quite as evident as it might be. Uh, Then last Sunday we we just checked to see if if this vision for transformation really is as as biblical as as certainly as Paul was suggesting it was. Is it a a big part of, of the teaching of God's word? And we discovered that yes, there's a stream right from the beginning of Genesis running right through, that God wants us to be like him and that he wants us to be transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. So we've confessed our feelings two times ago and we've recast our vision last time we met. And this is where it gets difficult. Today feels like the day that I've been pushing off. Um, You know, today feels like the day when I feel obliged to start to deliver on some of the promises that I made earlier in this series because I I really do want to help you see from God's word how God makes us good 
And I want to do that without slipping into to merciless legalism on the one hand, hammering myself and you. And I also want to do it without going for pious, empty platitudes that will leave none of us any further on in, in knowing how God's going to work in our lives. I suppose I want to give myself and you all the best opportunity to understand how God's transformation in, in our lives might actually happen. That, that's what I, I want to try and do. And that's why I feel totally daunted by the prospect. As I said a moment ago, I, I almost feel like quitting, but I'm not going to. And instead, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. So let's pray. Father God, we believe that you want us to be like you. We've seen it in your word. We believe that you want us to be made more and more like Jesus. We see that call repeatedly in your word. But Lord, we, we struggle. We don't really know how this might happen or come about. We pray that you'd be with us this morning as we think on these things. Speak to us. Give us light for our darkness. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment a complete stranger walking into the average Belfast church, somewhere like this or, or somewhere else. And I want you to imagine them staying around long enough to really get to know the place and to really suss out what's going on there. After a period of time, he's got a, a very good grasp of what's going on in this community. Now, this stranger, he knows the Bible inside out. He knows all about Jesus, who Jesus is, and what kind of a life he lived. And he's also familiar with some of the great disciples of Jesus down through the history of the church, the great men and women of church history. Now here's the question that I want you to consider for a second. What would that stranger make of the brand of Christianity that's visible in the average Belfast congregation in 2007? What would he think of it? Let me offer a, a suggested answer. I think they might be quite puzzled. I think it would strike them extremely odd that people who call themselves Christians or even disciples of Jesus Christ seem to have so little interest in learning from Jesus. It, it might seem strange that, that so, few who, so few people are interested in entering into the kind of life that Jesus lived. And I think our guest might come to the conclusion that all our talk about wanting to be like Jesus is actually quite hollow. We don't seem all that interested in practice. You see, as I said a moment ago, this stranger knows about Jesus. He knows the kind of life that Jesus lived. And he also knows of some of the disciples of Jesus notable throughout the history of the church. He knows about John Wesley and John Knox and how they lived. 
He knows about Martin Luther and Teresa of Avila. And he's struck by the claim that that we claim to follow Jesus and to worship him. But he wonders what we really think of Jesus. Do we think think that Jesus is too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use? That the way he lived actually wouldn't be a good way for us to live? Do we think that, for example? And and this stranger, he wonders what we think about all the, the great followers of Jesus throughout the history of the church, people whom we claim to respect. Do we think they're all a little bit fanatical? Do we think they're just a bit daft? Well, we must do because we don't seem to follow their example. And we don't seem to enter into the kind of life that they lived. Forgive me for a moment for that imaginary scenario. But but I hope you, you see the point that I'm trying to make here. Jesus Christ, even though he was divine, he... He lived a a particular kind of life, life that had a particular shape, life that was full of habits and practices that opened him up to to the, the presence of his Father. So Jesus, for example, was steeped in in the Bible. He he prayed often, he attended public worship regularly, he he fasted, he practiced solitude, and he lived a simple life. There's much more that I could say about the practices and habits of Jesus' life. But Jesus did all of this so that his life would be open to the the presence of God, to his Father, in Jesus' case. And I've already mentioned here the, the greats of church history. Their lives had this definite shape too. I suppose I have a, I have a, a challenge for you. Name me one even one great in the history of the church who didn't live this kind of, of life with this level of intentionality, of, of thoughtfulness about the patterns and habits of how they lived. I'll put you out of your misery. There are none. There are no people who come to, I think the, the witness of the Bible and the witness of church history converge at this point and tell us that, that you can't flourish in, in your life with God without a level of intentionality, without a level of, of desire and habit and practice pursuing God. Now, I think we've lost that somewhere over the years. I think we either don't expect God to change us at all, and, and we talked about that on previous weeks, or else we expect God to change us while we live lives that are almost indistinguishable from the people around us who don't know Jesus at all. We imagine that God is going to, to change us while we spend our lives living, watching reality TV and consuming uh, like the, the best of them. We imagine that coming to church and going to small group are, are enough or, or the right things for God's transformation to work in our lives. I would suggest that while the church continues to operate on these assumptions, 
God will not and cannot change us in the way that he would like to. So what do we do about this? What can we do to become more like Jesus? Do you see now why I wanted to quit? Well, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded... Do you remember the bracelets that people used to wear just a few years ago with the letters WWJD on them? What would Jesus do? The idea was that anybody wearing a bracelet would try to try to get into the habit of not doing anything until they'd ask themselves just that question, what would Jesus do in this case? I wonder what you think of that. Would that be a good, a good practice for us to adopt? If I encouraged you to take a vow to leave here this morning and not to do anything until you'd asked yourself that question and, and reflected on it. Is that the best way for us to, to pursue transformation, to become like Jesus Christ? Well, I, I don't think so. And let me explain quickly why. None of, of the rationale for the bracelet had anything to do with becoming the kind of person that Jesus was. It was simply a habit of training your mind to try and guess what Jesus might do, which isn't that easy, by the way. Go up and stand in the forecourt of Lindsay Garage, uh, Lindsay Car Showroom, and try and decide which car to buy using your WWJD rationale. Or Tesco's, you know, I, I, I can't buy cereal anymore, breakfast cereal. Because there seem to be 150 options. Uh, you, you see the point I'm making? That, that process there, it's simply trying to guess what Jesus might do and then trying to sum up the, the willpower to, to go through on that choice. It seems to me that it's still all about effort. It's still all about trying harder to do the kind of things that Jesus would do. And most calls to holiness tend to be like that. There's no room for character here. There's no, nobody's asking you to actually change. Deep down and, and at your core. You see, I don't think that God wants people who try harder to be good. I'm not sure that that's what God wants from a congregation like us. I, want, I think what God wants is people who are becoming like him and naturally do good things. I've made a distinction here uh, between effort and character, and I, do want, I want to dwell on that for a moment. Many of us here this morning want to obey Jesus. I'm entirely convinced of that because I, I know you um, and talk to you about these things. We want to do the things that Jesus told us to do. We want to, to love our enemies, to go the second mile, to turn the other cheek. We want to, to suffer with patience. But we think we can do these things while we live the rest of our lives just like everyone else. We want to do the things that are right and the things that are important. But we want to do it without committing ourselves to the kind of living that would actually produce these actions in us. Let me give you an example of what I mean here, because I realize that, that that may have been hard to grasp. 
A young fella wants to be able to strike a football the way David Beckham does. Now, this is, this is not autobiographical at all. I, you want to be able to hit a football like David Beckham does. You dream about it all the time. And you try your hardest any time you're playing football to, to do it like Beckham. You buy the same boots that... Well, the ones with the David Beckham logo on them. You have Beckham printed on the back of your, your replica shirt. You even have the same pre-match meal that you read about in an interview, thinking that, well, if I eat the same stuff as David Beckham, maybe then I'll be able to play like him. Tell me this. Is any of that going to help me to strike the ball like David Beckham? And the answer is No. Of course not. Simply trying on the spur of the moment to recreate what David Beckham can do is never ever going to work. You see, you can't strike the ball like David Beckham until you live the life that he leads. It's taken him hours of practice every day for long years of his life to be able to do the things that he does. There's a proper diet. There's a carefully planned training regime. There's properly organized rest between matches. David Beckham didn't get to where he is today simply by trying hard. His specific abilities to strike a football the way he does are the result of years of practice and a whole way of life. Folks, whenever we try to live like Christ, I think it so often boils down to us just thinking, well, I need to try harder. I need to try to be like Jesus. And it usually feels like the greatest struggle of our lives. It feels like we're asking our bodies to do something that they actually can't do. Our bodies, as they are today, aren't very well equipped to be like Jesus. It's like it's like if somebody came to me and said, Christoph, the Belfast Marathon's on tomorrow why don't you sign up and run it? I couldn't do that, no matter how hard I tried, because my body's not ready to act in that way. Well, folks, I think that the same is true in in the life of our character and, and our life with God. We can't simply overnight become people who are able to do to do the wonderful things that Jesus calls us to do without entering into a life. And, and practice and habit. I've been keeping you waiting a long time before coming to this morning's scripture passage, but I think we're ready now to look at it with fresh eyes. In Matthew 11, Jesus famously says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who's he talking to? People who've had a hard week at work? I don't think so. Jesus is talking here to all who are exhausted by their own efforts to be righteous. He's talking to all those who've been told that loving God is about struggling, struggling harder to obey a long list of rules. He's talking to all of those who are fed up with their church leaders chastising them. And trying them, telling them to buck up their ideas and try harder. 
He's speaking to all of these people and he's offering them a rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's a very, very specific thing Jesus is saying. Jesus was a teacher or a rabbi. And in that time, the the set of teachings of a rabbi or, or the curriculum that he delivered was known as his yoke. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, come, enter into my teaching and my way of life and learn from me. Are you burned out on religion? On commands and demands to be good? Well then come to me and I'll show you something different. And then he assures us, I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden's light. Friends, I think we can breathe a sigh of relief here this morning. And, and I, hope, I hope you do. Jesus has promised us that following him will be easy and restful. And Before I qualify that and before I tell you all the ways in which that's not true, let me tell you that his followers believed this. That's why I asked Gareth to read a passage from 1 John chapter 5. Let me read a verse from it again. This is love for God to obey his commands. And listen, John says, and his commands are not burdensome. Here's one of the early followers of Jesus Christ agreeing with what Jesus says here. Yes, this yoke is easy. Yes, this burden is light. So these guys have seen something and understood something that I think we we miss. We think obeying Jesus and doing it more and more is going to be the greatest struggle, the greatest hardship, and the greatest sacrifice of our lives. And Jesus says, no. Come to me, and life will be easier and better. Friends, it seems to me that to enter into the life that Jesus offers, we're not going to struggle the rest of our lives to be good. Hallelujah. Thank God, I say, because it's not a lot of crack being told that you should be better than you are and to hear that message ringing in your ears the whole of your life. And it's not the message of Jesus. I think what Jesus does with his followers as they follow in his footsteps is he invites them into a kind of a life and, and, and some practices that allow them to open their lives to God and to receive the wind of his spirit in their sails and he will move them forward. He will carry them by his grace and he'll make something of them. Do you remember the illustration I offered you, I think it was three weeks ago, of how God changes our lives? In particular, I was trying to deal with the issue of does God do it or do we do it? The change. And I offered you an illustration that showed a cooperation 
And it was the illustration of a sailing ship. How do you sail a ship? Well, if you want to sail a ship, there are lots of things you can do. You can lift the anchor. That's a good start. You can lift the moorings. You can hoist the sails. Those are things that you could do and that you must do if you want to sail your ship. But unless the wind blows, you're going nowhere. You'll sit and you'll sit and you'll sit. Friends, the wind of God is blowing in our lives. God wants to to move us. He wants to move us forward. But we have a role in all of this. Our role is to cooperate with his spirit, to do those things that we can to catch the spirit of God, to lift the anchor, to to lift the moorings, to put up the sails. There's There's a life to enter into here. And I suppose that's what we're trying to to learn here this morning. This life with God isn't about trying harder and harder. It's simply about learning to do those things that that allow us to to be filled with God's Spirit. I want to close this morning by giving a, a name to the kind of living that I've been talking about here this morning. Throughout the history of the church, these practices or habits of, of spiritual intention have been called spiritual disciplines. And that name's not really important, but I, I do offer it to you in case you've been reading about these things and you can make a connection between what I'm saying here and other stuff that you've been learning. I suppose I want to make that connection particularly for people in discipleship groups who have been reading Richard Foster's book and who are going to be introduced there to some spiritual disciplines. We're going to spend a couple of Sunday mornings between now and Christmas thinking about what these disciplines are and how God works through them, his transformation in our lives. There's one last thing I want to say this morning, and it's particularly for those who are learning about the disciplines. They're not meant to crush you or to kill you. That's, that's absolutely the worst thing that could happen to you as you hear preaching here in church or as you read Celebration of Discipline and discuss it in your discipleship group. If you go away from there defeated, if you go away thinking, well, these practices of meditation and of prayer and of fasting and of study, these are, these are even more things that I have to do. Friends, if you go away thinking that, then we've done you a great disservice and you've missed what the disciplines are really all about. Please, please don't see it that way. I'm keen to introduce you to the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life so that you'll have all the resources of of the Bible and all the resources of church history that have been made available to us that will help you in your walk with God. That's where I'm coming from with all of this. But how you use those disciplines and how God will work through them in your life will vary. It'll depend on who you are and what else is going on in your life at the moment. If you're a young mother who hasn't had a proper night's sleep for what seems like years, then people telling you that you should be spending hours 
in prayer and Bible study and meditation might not be the right word for you just at this point in your life. Hear me saying that. If you're in a particularly stressful job at the moment, uh, one that takes you all over the place, that allows you no routine in your life, then a lot of, a lot of the practices that we're going to be learning about won't easily be lifted and brought into your life, at least without some adaptation. Again, hear me saying that. And this is probably the most important bit of all. Don't let other people, especially church leaders like me, lay guilt trips on you about the shape that your walk with Jesus should take. Listen instead to Jesus. Listen to the kind of things that he says. Come to me if you're weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. And I'll give you rest for your soul. Do you believe him? Do you believe that you gave yourself over entirely to the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live? That rather than being hammered, you'd find rest. That's the invitation, folks. Come to me. And I'll give you rest. Let's pray.